every time I've traveled the world, been to a different country, different culture and language, I've always met somebody, every single time I've met somebody that just seems so happy, yet doesn't have very much. This morning we began a a series, it's just a three-week series, entitled Enough, Sharing the Things You Own Before They Own You. And this morning I want to give you an invitation, a a command from Scripture, a simple two-word phrase, be content. We see in the film a definition of contentment that I buy into. I think it's a healthy one, a noble one, a biblical one. Contentment is an inner satisfaction independent of external circumstances. As we begin this morning, I want to ask you or have you ask yourself four questions. We're going to put them on the screen and do some self-evaluation if you would. The first question How often do you compare what you have and how much you make with others? How much anxiety do finances add to your life? To what extent are your dreams and your goals driven by money? Do you enjoy giving, giving things away? I have an assignment for you. I want you to be open to actually doing the assignment. Have you noticed that assignments, the power of assignments are in actually doing it? So I want to give you two things that I want you to do, okay? You guys open, at least interested in hearing what they might be? Some of you are like, yes, I will follow you no matter what you say. You are the preacher. Now, let me give you two assignments. The first is go into your closet, or if you're messy, into your room, and count all of your shirts. And all of your shoes. And count out loud. All your shirts. Your dress shirts. Your casual shirts. Your tank tops. Your silly shirts. It was my birthday last week. I got two new shirts for my birthday. A Dak Prescott jersey. That would count as a shirt. I got to get over the can a man wear a jersey thing. Okay. And I got one from Chaney at Swellophonic here in Fonner. It says, center, center, chicken dinner. If you know Chaney, that's just the kind of stuff he sells and gives away. But count, I would count those two, right? The Dak jersey, the center, center, chicken dinner. All the shirts, T-shirts, gym shirts, casual dress, sweaters, long sleeve, short sleeve. Count all your shirts. Count them out loud because there's a power in saying 33, 34, 47, 62, right? Count them all out loud. And count your shoes, flip-flops, sandals, Crocs. Anybody have Crocs anymore? Uh, Dress shoes, casual shoes, high heels, boots, all kind of shoes that you own. Tennis shoes, running shoes, all the shoes that you have, count them out loud. That's your assignment, okay? So sometime this week, sometime over the next few weeks, we'll check in on you later. But count them out loud. That's assignment number one. That was one. Two, that's twofold. Number two, the second assignment is to find something of value in your house that you no longer use and find its rightful owner. Okay? You are not the rightful owner. You say, it's mine. No, it's, it's not yours. You don't use it. Remember that part? You don't use it. It has value, but you don't use it. An old guitar that's collecting dust, because you ain't no good at the guitar. You thought you would be. You could give that guitar... It could be a bike or a backpack or a bike rack or something, set of golf clubs, something 
of value that you no longer use and find its rightful owner. Find somebody that would use it. That's your twofold assignment. This morning, I have one real singular purpose in this invitation, this instruction to be content. And it's this. I don't want you necessarily to leave today thinking, man, I enjoyed the sermon. Now, if you see me, you may want to say that because that just helps me. It helps me get through the day, right? But it's lonely after a preacher preaches. I mean, it's like you get high, you know, thinking about the day. You don't actually get high, but, you know, you, there's a feeling of euphoria as you go into a Sunday. And then there's just this, you descend to the depths. It's lonely. Ask my wife, I'm very lonely after church because all kinds of things are running around up there. So if you see me, you may want to say, hey, I enjoyed that. But ultimately, I don't necessarily want you today to enjoy this sermon. I would like it to be disturbing, disruptive, maybe a little unnerving or unsettling for you. Here's our passage. I want you to turn the let's give them a minute before we put it up. First Timothy chapter 6. First Timothy 6 and we'll look at verses 6 through 10. The people they are attorning, some of you you are awaiting. Here we are. Now there is great gain in godliness with, here's our word, with contentment. For we brought nothing into the world and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing with these, we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil stop. That phrase among the most misunderstood in all Scripture. I've got it in my top five misunderstood verses in all of Scripture. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. How much is enough? We're driven, unlike the young woman in Brazil, on the tractor, you and I were driven by the word more. And this word more is why we need this word enough. And why we need to confront ourselves with this question. How much is enough? Paul makes this statement. And though we read from the ESV, um, I want to translate it into some other verses. But he says this. It's an equation. He says that... Godliness with contentment is great gain. Godliness, we always seem to have to say this in parentheses, but godliness is not perfection. We all stumble and we all fall in many ways. James chapter 3 says, how many of you agree with that? We all stumble. We all fall. In fact, it's why we preach over and over again confession and repentance. Confession and repentance. But godliness is someone, a woman or a man, who has an authentic relationship with Jesus. They know they're loved and they know they're forgiven. And they have nothing to hide and nothing to prove and nothing to fear. They realize the gospel is a good news message and they're walking, they're abiding in Christ. That's godliness. And contentment is this inner satisfaction independent of external circumstances. To put it maybe a little more simply, it's just a peace you have inside that doesn't depend on things without. And this leads to what really is great wealth. There are three motivators to living a godly life, to 
pursuing contentment and experiencing it. I want to give it to you this morning. It's the bulk of the sermon. If you're a note taker, you're going to write down that phrase, godliness with contentment is great gain. And under that, three motivators. And the first is what I want to call a sobering reality. A sobering reality. And it's right there in verse 7. If your Bible is open, look down at the phrase. Paul says what? To his young protege, Timothy, he says, For we, not you, not them, but we, everybody, for we brought nothing into this world and we're going to take nothing out of it. Now how, the ground is so common on this question, but how did you enter the world? A naked baby. Laugh if you want, but you entered the world a naked baby. And they wrapped you probably in swaddling clothes. And unlike Jesus at the Christmas scene, you probably, they, they probably had room for you at the end. And they wrapped you in clothes and they put you in a tiny little clear plastic box. And they gave you a little cap, a little bitty cap. Mine was a big cap. I always had a large head. And they gave you this little cap and they shuttled you on down to the neonatal unit with neonatal nurses. And they put you, the, this little plastic box is called an incubator, is that right? And they want to protect you from germs and from noise. That's how you entered the world. You had nothing. You were a naked baby. You got sent home from the hospital. Let's say this baby sent home from the hospital and eight months later it's Christmas she gets gifts what do you do with eight month old baby girls boys you give them gifts doting grandparents loving aunts and uncles the parents themselves of course friends give her gifts and she doesn't know it yet but she's beginning a life this first Christmas at eight months old unaware she's beginning a life of accumulation now she doesn't care that she's getting stuff and gathering you know, toys and trinkets. She doesn't care. She's chewing on the, the, the ribbon paper, right? She doesn't care about that, but something has begun. Something has begun. Fast forward. Fast forward 18 years, and she's off to college. She's driving a used car off to college. Kenny Chesney has a country song. I live my life with a lot of country songs. There goes my life. You seen that video? There goes my life. And there goes this baby girl at 18 years old in a used car. And everything that she has can be put, what? It can put, be put in the back seat or the trunk of her car. And she doesn't realize that at that point she's so excited about college. It's scared, all that. But she doesn't realize that this will be the easiest move she's ever made. Everything. Maybe a dad in a pickup truck follows her. Maybe. She checks into the mandatory freshman year dorm room with simple stuff. Her junior year, she gets to move to an on-campus apartment with some close friends. And she really needs not just her car, back seat, and trunk. She needs daddy's pickup truck, maybe a boyfriend that dad's not sure of, right? They meet in the parking lot and put her stuff in. And they look at each other and size each other up and all that. But she's, she goes and joins friends at this apartment. She needs, a, she needs a pickup truck or two to take her stuff. She's got old, ugly, used appliances. But she's got a little more stuff. Fast forward, we're taking giant leaps because it's just a 30-something minute sermon. But you, you, you fast forward many, many years. In fact, let's go 10 years. And she's been married. And she has a couple of kids. 
And they move from their starter home to their next home. One of them thinks it's their dream home. One of them just thinks it's their next home. They got issues. But they got a lot of stuff, right? They got appliances. Some of them are nice and new. They got a lot of stuff. And I mean, they got toys and trinkets and trophies and pictures and all kind of collectibles and stuff and big units of stuff. They got a gas grill and a charcoal grill and a Coleman portable grill. Her husband loves to grill. They got all kind of stuff. Their bikes, kids' bikes, all kind of stuff. And they think, woo, on this move from starter home, married for... And two kids, whoo, we're going to this next home, and we got a lot of stuff. They need two men in a truck, or two trucks and a bunch of men, or hunky college guys, or whoever moves, uh, move from a Christian, or something like that, whatever is happening out there, right? They need, they need some help to get all their stuff to their next home or their dream home. And fast forward a couple of decades later, those kids, they're gone. And another several years passes. And they move from that home into a condo with fewer rooms and less stuff. It's only one story because they don't want to hike the stairs anymore. A few years after that, the husband dies. And somewhere on the tail end of that year after the husband's death, one of the kids, the daughter, it's always the daughter, the daughter goes to her and says to her, very difficult question. A question that nobody wants. Hey mom, you think it's time to move into that um, retirement home? They move her in. And her stuff, the stuff that she has, that wasn't fodder at her garage sale or given away or pawned off to the kids. That stuff is about as basic as the college dorm room. The bed, a beloved bookshelf with volumes that are well-worn and well-read and well-loved and a few pictures. A few years later, with not enough visits from the people that were, were to love her when she was old and gray, she passes. And she's put water. She's put in a box. It's a bigger box. They're not worried about noise or germs anymore because neither really apply. And Paul is saying this sobering reality. He's saying, Timothy, hey, Timothy, I started this church in Ephesus. I pastored this church. I was the church planner and I've handed it over to you and now you're the leader, you and the leadership. And I want you to lead, but I want you to lead like Jesus would want you to lead. And the Jesus way of life is different than the world and don't be conformed to this world, to its traps and its snares and the destruction and the ruin of following after false gods. But I want you to ask your own self and I want you to put it in front of the church a lot. I want you to put it in front of them. Hey, how much do we need? How much is enough? In between the little tiny clear box that's called an incubator. And in, in, in between that and the final box. How much stuff do we need? As a motivator. That godliness with contentment is really great gain. It's the riches of all riches to motivate. One of the things that Paul says to Timothy in verse 7 is a sobering reality. You didn't bring anything into this world and you're going to take nothing out of it.
And so today, for you, how much do you need? The second motivator beyond the sobering reality is what I want to call a bold claim. And it's found in verse 8. Is your Bible open? Look down, verse 8. This is the one that's disruptive and disturbing, unnerving, unsettling. For if we have food and clothing, we will be content. Got problems with that? Now, it's easy to think. This is why preachers go to seminary. But it's easy to think, oh, man, easier said then than now. But now, come on, don't even bring that in front of the church. Don't bring it to America in 2016. But you know Ephesus? Let me tell you just a bit about Ephesus because I don't want you to snooze on me. But Ephesus was the fourth largest city in the Roman world. It was a dominant port city on the, along the Aegean Sea. And they had, there's maybe a rendering here of Ephesus back in the day. It's on the eastern side of modern Turkey. And here you see what they call kiosk, okay? Shipper, uh, sh shipping was around them. Cargo and a port city. And what could you buy? What could you buy in Ephesus back then? Can I tell you, in Ephesus in the first century, when the church was so new, when the Jesus movement had begun, you could buy about anything in the world. You could buy jewelry from Egypt. You could buy the latest fashions from Rome. You could buy spices from the Far East. You could buy stuff with purple, purple linen robes. They love purple. Ephesus was the capital of purple. And you could buy purple things in the city of Ephesus. And I, I got to feel like that Paul walked around. He walked around here. And he sees these kiosks. And he's wondering about the church. He's wondering about the followers of Jesus that began with such purity. And are we losing our way? Are we becoming like the dominant culture around us? And Paul gives this bold claim. If we just have food and clothing, we will be content. Two circles for a simple illustration. This one circle, we'll call it here. And this other circle, you know what we're going to call it, there. And here, it's your job, your car, your apartment, your house, your health. It's where you are. It's here. And there, there is where you want to be. Now, food and clothing only? Later in 1 Timothy 6, and we're going to look at this next week, that's why each sermon matters. Preachers, let, me, let me give you a preacher secret. When you preach a sermon in a series, all the sermons kind of go together. Don't just take one of them, right? So stay with us over the next couple of weeks. But he's going to say later, God has given us richly all things to enjoy. And you know what that means? That means what it says. He's given us richly all things to enjoy. Hear me say for a second, before we get further into contentment, what it is and what it isn't, let me say this, contentment doesn't destroy desire. For some of you, you're here, and honestly, there's a biblical injunction, there's scriptural advice, there's the voice of God in your life. Do you hear it? Are you dulled by it? And God is saying, don't stay here, I need you there. And if here is bitterness and seeking revenge, then there is the freedom of forgiveness. 
If here is detachment and a lack of connection, there is love and relationship. If here is hoarding and a consuming and acquiring, there is learning to live with generosity. And we're going to say this in week two and week three, but generosity without joy is not generosity. If here is the same old, same old, if, if it's a sense of, oh, contentment, be content. So I am what I am. It is what it is. And there's no dream or vision for tomorrow where you're not joining God on the work he wants to do with your life. Don't, I'm telling you, don't stay here. Here is not good. And God wants you there. You with me? But let's talk about contentment. Let's talk about this idea because it's your job and your car and your apartment or your house or your health. It's your life. And you are here, but you want to be there. You are here, but you want to be there. Right? Raise your hands, church, 11 o'clock service. You want to be there. Come on, church, let's be real this morning. You want to be there. And don't you hate it? Somebody you know goes there and they find contentment. Oh, and you are here. But here's what's great. People go there. And they come home and they open up their computer or keyboard and then they, they go to tripadvisor.com and they write down all the inadequacies and indignities of their journey on vacation when they were there. Do you know about this? Tripadvisor.com. Let me read an actual excerpt that I printed off or typed off. This is a Riviera Myra in case you're planning a trip. The resort had some nice features and amenities, but overall, it's trying to be all things to all people and thus not excellent at any. Beach and weather. Beach was pretty, but the weather was very uneven. The tide was rough and choppy, rainy at almost any time of the day, so we had to plan our days around that. <laughs> Lodging. Frustrating that the nice modern rooms are almost a mile walk at the back end of the resort. We stayed at the beach section, and the rooms were basic and dated. No major complaints here. Service was generally good overall, but large crowds everywhere gave the place a raucous feel. At the buffets, we were overwhelmed. We would often bring our own bottled water with us. We didn't want to have to wait to drink. We did have to wait 20 minutes twice in line for towels. We had to walk to the spa for towels once. Welcome to paradise. You know, one of the biggest disappointments of vacation is that we have to take us. It hurts, doesn't it? Let's peek in a little bit. Husband's watching TV. The wife's putting on makeup. They're getting ready for dinner. They're there. You're here, by the way. They're there. They're getting ready for dinner. She's putting on the makeup. And as Brad Paisley says in a country song, I'm waiting on a woman. He's waiting on a woman. And he's watching TV. She walks in the room and she gets visibly huffy. She's talked to him before about how much TV he watches. He doesn't notice her at first getting visibly huffy because, you know, he's watching TV. <laughs> Next door in the room are their two teenage kids, son and a daughter. The daughter is silent. The son is surly. The man notices that his wife is visibly huffy. He gets miffed that she's huffy. He says, what, what? You're just putting on your makeup. Why can't I watch TV? Later, just a little bit later, huffy and miff, walk to dinner. 
not holding hands while silent and surly trail behind them. As they enter the Japanese-themed restaurant at the Caribbean Resort, they walk in and Miff is thinking, how much is this vacation going to set me back? While Surly says out loud, this is so lame. Never before in the history of this planet have so many of us had so much and been so whiny. I told you this, but I had lunch with a friend. He's in our church, one of our leaders. I love him to death. We weren't talking about anybody, certainly not about any of you. But we were talking. He just, I don't know, it was just a random conversation. I'm good at those. And he just, at Surin, at the top place, right? He, he, he said, he goes, man, people are just whiny. I mean, people are just whiny. Obviously, he was frustrated somebody. But people, have you noticed that? We're just whiny. If you don't believe it, lead something. People are whiny. Get more than five people in the room and have an idea, a noble idea. People are whiny. We live our lives here and we want to be there. And what's really painful is sometimes in certain places we get there. And we get there and we say, I want to go there. And what I'm saying to you, by the way, contentment, biblical contentment does not kill or destroy desire. Do you hear that? In fact, Paul said in Romans 15, my ambition, my desire, my holy discontent. Do any of you know this? Paul, my holy discontent is to preach the gospel where Jesus has never been heard. That's why, look, I'm a pastor, right? I'm a pastor. I'm telling you, to start a church and to lead a church, you don't want to leave that church. It would be an emotional thing. It would be a, a big thing because you love that church. Like you care about that church. And Paul had such a holy discontent, such an ambition to preach the gospel where Jesus had never been heard before that he left this church with Timothy because of a holy discontent. And let me say this. You guys know that we prepare people to get married. We don't just perform wedding ceremonies, but we want to equip people to get married and there's a prepare and enrich thing that we do and we walk with couples um, several sessions as we talk to them about their test results we sound like a physician right some of you know what I'm talking about but there is a, a test result that some people get back and it says they're conflicted conflicted they're not vitalized they're not harmonious they're not conventional they're conflicted now, that's not necessarily a triple X, eh, 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 don't do this. But when you sit down with them and you see what conflicted means and you see it up front and you realize they are fundamentally not compatible and they do not have the skills to work on things. And recently we told a couple, don't do this. And I don't want to tell you how close it was to wedding day. Don't do this. And when I say we told them, I mean Laura McAlpin told them. Don't do this. She called me to ask me if it's okay. I'm like, girl, tell them. Tell them because it's obvious. And here's a young lady who's like, there, there, there. She grew up with daddy who there, there. And dad went there and then he wanted there, right? And he, he went places. There, there, there. Ambition. And this guy, he don't want to go anywhere, Right? So to equip them for their futures, we need to say, 
this probably ain't going to work, right? If you just want to stay here. But what if here for you, what if here for you is not good? What if here for you is not what you desire? The crux of this question is this, of this message. Is it possible? Is it possible to be here and be fully alive to God? Fully present with people and to experience a peace while you're here. You're not there. You're here. Is it possible? So quickly move away from Ephesus and go to Philippi, northern Greece. And Paul in prison a little bit later than this, he says this. I have learned, Philippians 4, I have learned the secret of contentment. Do you hear that? He's learned it's a skill. I don't want you to come to Fonder Church today and the preacher stands up and says, be content. Be content. Be content. Mm -mm. I have learned contentment. You don't, it, it, it's like entering the world, like you know, a redhead or a blue-eyed person, right? It's not like, oh, I'm just content. It's something that you have to learn. You and I, while we're here, we have to train our hearts. We have to train our hearts to say godliness with contentment. God, can you, can you give me with this job and this car and this person and this situation and this health, can you give me peace here? Is it possible that there could be a gift of inner satisfaction independent of external circumstances while here? And Paul in Philippians 4 would say, in front, of one of the, in front of one of the most famous verses of the Bible, he says, I have learned to be content whether I have plenty or I'm in want, whether I am hungry or well-fed, whether it's scarcity or abundance, I have learned to be content. In addition to a sobering realization that you brought nothing in this world and you're going to take nothing out of it. He gives us a bold claim. With food and clothing, we can learn to be content. And then the third motivator he gives us, and I'll call it a needed warning. A needed warning. We're rounding toward home. Here's 1 Timothy 6. We've read it, but we'll put it up again. Three words highlighted in yellow. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. The second, well, I'm sorry, the last sentence, the first part of the last sentence, it is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith. Keep the verse up, please. It's common today for us to say, hey, what about so-and-so? They, they used to come to Fondren Church. Now, they don't. They don't go anywhere. And one shiny object after another shiny object, after this trip and this luxury, and slowly they've wandered from the faith. Paul would say in 2 Timothy 4, he called out a brother named Demas, and he said, Demas has departed He's wandered from the faith, having loved this present world. The, lot, the bright lights of Vegas got to him. And what will happen spiritually, money and the love of it and the quest for it 
will cause people to wonder and it will pierce us. Look at the three words, snare, plunge, and pierce. Snare is to walk into something. We've got a snare on stage. Every time we have a snare on stage, someone will complain about the snare on stage. The volume. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine that? Someone e- emails. A concerned congregate will email us about the snare. But there's a snare, but this snare, let's use the word trap, right? A trap. A trap is something we all know you step into. A trap is something you set out, right, to catch something that you hope will step into it. A trap, you step into it, it looked good, it seemed good at the time, but you got caught in it. It's a trap. Plunge is a nautical phrase. Remember Ephesus, a GNC. It's a nautical phrase. That's why even today we say we're drowning in debt. We'll talk about that a little bit next week. Pierced. Think of a hunter, a bow, and an arrow going through the flesh. Let's put it this way. There are two kinds of warnings that the Bible gives us. One is preventive and one is corrective. Preventive, by definition, is a warning that comes before the fall, before you can potentially ruin something or even your life itself. And a corrective one is after it. It's restorative. It's, hey, here's what's happened. Here's where you are. You are drowning. Let me help. And this warning is preventative. This warning is caution ahead, curve, slow down, proceed with caution, pay attention, stop and think. Be warned, be alert, sober, vigilant, ready. Trapped, drowning, bleeding. Trapped, drowning, bleeding. How many of us? That describes us. And if we did business with our heart, we would realize that somewhere, many places along the road that we walked, there were times where we said, I am not content, and I'm going in. This, God, what you're giving me now is not enough. I'm going, I'm pushing it. And before you know it, we're trapped, we're drowning, we're bleeding. Couples will sit in my office from time to time, and they act like their marital woes are so unique. I don't want to puncture their balloon, but I hear them all the time. It's the different people, same story. Hear that? She will say, he's running, gunning, moving and grooving. He's never with me. And when he's with me, he's not with me. And he's neglecting his family. And he will say, Every time, by the way, this is the script. Every time he will say, I'm doing it for y'all. And she will say, you're never here. And it's always a painful moment. And any counselor worth his salt, and I'm not saying I'm one of them, but any counselor worth his salt doesn't talk much then. It's just a couple of questions because you realize that man, it's a tough place for anybody to be, especially a man. But to be there with a counselor and your spouse and to realize you're wrong, there's error in your ways. And then the man, every time, every time the man will say, just a little bit longer. Right? He's here and he thinks the family is here, but he wants to take the family there. But when he gets there, he's going there. Same script every single time. Trapped, drowning, bleeding. Be careful. 
When Jesus told stories, they were manifold. They were varied. But they always cut to the heart. But most of his stories were about money. Most of his stories were about money. And he warned us and taught us and instructed us because he knows the tendency of our heart. He knows the temptation of our lives. With this sobering reality, verse 7, you brought nothing in this world, you'll take nothing out. With this bold claim, just food and clothing, we can be content. He makes this needed warning. Be careful. Oh, be careful. But the call is to be different. Philippians 4 I've learned the secret of contentment. After that verse, Philippians 4.13, you know what it says? Say it. Say it loud. Good. You know the verse, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But now, you know the context. You and I use it. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So we're going to beat that team. I can do all things that for through Christ who strengthens me. I hadn't studied, but I'm going to ace that test. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I'm going to get that relationship going, even though they don't want to have anything to do with you. I can do all things through Christ. I can get what I want. I can get what I can bend and shape and mold God to give me what I want right here, right now, and get me there. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. The context is contentment. The context is, can you be here? In less than ideal situation. Can you be here. And experience. Thank you Daryl. And experience. A peace. That is different. From the world. The next two weeks I think are probably two of the more important sermons we'll preach at Fondren Church. And it has nothing to do with what we want from you. It has everything to do with what we want for you. And Jesus, when he talked to us, when he talked to the church, he said to us, it is better to give than to receive. How much is enough? Go home and count your shirts and shoes. Count them out loud. Find something of value that you don't use and find the rightful owner. And come back next week. And let's talk about how it's better to give than to receive. And let's continue to ask the question, how much is enough? And let's ask Jesus, what kind of people do you want us to be? Now, as we close, I want to say quickly, you and I battle contentment every day. And maybe the biggest thief in your hearts is comparison couple of verses. We've got doctors in the room. We had doctors at our 930 service. They know this is true. Medicine bears it out thousands of years after this was uttered by Solomon. A peaceful heart leads to a healthy body. Jealousy is like cancer in the bones. Now I'm going to put up another verse. And if you think it's true, I want you to say, ouch. Okay, once you get the meaning, just out loud say, if you do, I will close up the service. Okay. Ecclesiastes 4.4, then I observed that most people are motivated to success because they envy their neighbors. But this too is meaningless, like chasing the wind. 
Do you think that's true? It said it in the Bible a long time ago. Now you throw in social media and all the affluence and opulence and abundance that we have. I observed that most people are motivated to success because they are jealous of their neighbors, envious of their neighbors. There will be no room in your heart for contentment if that's how you're living. So today we're going to close with communion, close with worship through our giving, and you'll be on your way. As our worship team, if they go ahead and make their way up, they'll begin to play music in a minute. In a moment, you'll stand, and we're going to invite you to the table. Not a literal table, but there'll be leaders around the room. They'll have a cup, and they'll have a cup with juice, and they'll have a plate with bread. And as we say at the end of every month, this blood, this, this cup rather represents the blood of Jesus. This bread represents his body. Blood shed, body broken in this great act of sacrificial love. And scripture tells us in 2 Corinthians that he, he who was so rich, he became poor so that we might be made rich. So to hurting hearts who are just here in a circle, it's just here. You know, it's just here. And somebody's going to ask you how you're doing and you, you don't know what to say. Fine, good, busy. I don't, you don't really want to talk about it because you're just here. And maybe you've been here for a while. But maybe the answer is not necessarily there. Maybe it's Jesus. Maybe it's Jesus in here.